Good evening. It's good to be back together tonight, have another time to spend time in worship to our God, to think about His Word, to continue to walk through what I believe to be and what I hope you believe to be, an amazing book of the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn there to Ephesians chapter 2. I'd love for you to follow along with me in verses 19 through 22, Ephesians chapter 2. Looking at verses 19 through 22 as we close out the second chapter this evening. There are some things in life that are really hard to describe. There are some things in life that are really hard to explain. Like this week I was thinking about a few examples. It's really hard to explain what an eternity is or how long an eternity is going to be. If you sit there and think about that for enough time, your brain's going to start to hurt. Because I don't think that's something we can wrap our mind around. How much time is in eternity? How long is in eternity going to last? Well, it's going to last forever. I think that's the best we can do. It's something that's hard to describe, something that's hard to explain. Describe to me what water tastes like. I remember one time somebody asked me that question whenever I was a little bit younger, and I told them that it tasted clear. Well, what is, what is clear? tastes like. It's something that's hard to explain, something that's hard to describe. Describe to me the color blue without describing something that's blue or pointing to something that's blue. It's going to be pretty hard to do, isn't it? Describe the color blue. Describe to me what blue is without talking about or pointing to something that is blue. What is the definition of the word the? It's a word that we use all the time, but what in the world does it mean? What is the definition for the word the? If someone has a dictionary on hand, you can look that up and let us know. I have to put my Bible down to do this one. You pretend like you're driving a car like this, you know, like they do in the movies. And then you pretend like you're milking a cow. How did those two things become so similar? How did driving a car and, and milking a cow become so similar? The point is, there are some things in life that are difficult to explain. There are some things in life that are hard to describe. What if I were to ask you this question? What is the church? How would you answer that question? What would you say in response to that question? I'd say if we were to ask every single person in here tonight, what is the church? We wouldn't give contradictory answers. We wouldn't give answers that are wrong, but all of our answers would be different. How we answer that question would probably depend on the person. What is the church? Well, maybe that's something that's pretty hard to describe. Maybe that's something that's pretty hard to explain. There's a lot of different ways that you could talk about or explain or describe what the church is and what the church should look like. So what I want us to do tonight is I want us to ask Paul that question. In the last part of Ephesians chapter 2, those last few verses, let's ask the Apostle Paul, what is the church? We've mentioned it a number of different times throughout this study. Specifically, when we introduced the book of Ephesians, this is a book, this is a letter that's all about the church. It's all about the church that belongs to Jesus. What the church should look like. What the church should be. How we should live as members of the church. So tonight, that might be hard for us to explain. 
That might be hard for us to answer. So let's ask the Apostle Paul. Paul, I I want you to describe this to me. I want you to explain to me what the church is. There's a lot of language throughout the New Testament. A a lot of, of metaphors throughout the New Testament that are used to describe the church. Of course, we're going to limit our conversation to what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 2. What is the church? I believe the first thing that Paul tells us in verses 19 through 21 is that the church is the household of God. If you had the opportunity to be with us last week, last Sunday night, we spent some time in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 19, talking about how Jesus changes everything, especially for the Gentiles, those who weren't Jews. Jesus, in Ephesians 2, took them from a place where they had nothing spiritually to a place where they had everything spiritually. They experienced quite a change, quite a transition, quite a transformation. I believe you can describe that change or transformation, what we talked about last week in verse 19 of Ephesians 2 where Paul says, so then, therefore, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Hey, this is who you used to be. You used to be on the outside looking in. You were a stranger. You were a foreigner. You were an alien. But that's not who you are anymore. You are no longer strangers and aliens. But now, he says, you are fellow citizens with the saints. And zero in on that last phrase, members of the household of God. We asked this question this morning as we were studying in 2 Kings chapter 19. What is the household of God? Remember, we went to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, where Paul not only describes to Timothy the purpose of that first letter, but also what the household of God is. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave. Watch this. In the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. What is the household of God? According to Paul in the book of 1 Timothy, he writes a little bit later in his life that the household of God is the church of God. God's house is God's church, and God's church is God's house. Those are two terms used to describe the same thing. Not talking about a building in a physical location with longitude and latitude made out of stone or brick or mortar, but to describe the people who have been saved by the precious blood of Jesus. What is the church? It is the household of God. We realize that houses have different parts, don't we? Whenever you walk into a house, there's going to be all kinds of different parts to it. I hope there's a ceiling, walls, a floor. There's going to be doors. There's going to be different rooms for different purposes. Hopefully it's built on some kind of foundation. The same is true with God's house. The same is true with God's household. When we we look at this spiritual household that's made up of people who have been saved by the grace of our Lord, that household has different parts. And Paul talks about that here. We could go throughout the rest of the New Testament and talk about the building language that's associated with the church. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about how the foundation of the church, the foundation that has been laid, is Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 16 says that the church has been built on the solid bedrock confession of Peter. 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We saw just a few minutes ago in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. If you go to 1 Peter chapter 2, the Bible talks about how we as living stones are being built up into this spiritual household. So there's a lot of building language associated with the church throughout the New Testament. But notice how Paul talks about this here. First, he talks about the foundation of God's household. Looking in verse 20, he says that the household of God in verse 19 is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Well, hold on just a second. Didn't we just say from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that the foundation of God's house is Jesus? Didn't we just say from Matthew chapter 16 that the church is built on the foundation of who Jesus is? That He's the Christ, the Son of the living God? A house can't have two foundations. So how can God's house, the church, be both built on the foundation of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 3, and the foundation of the apostles and prophets in Ephesians chapter 2? How can those messages go together? Well, I want to suggest to you that the church, God's house, is not built on the apostles as men. The church is not built on New Testament prophets as individuals. I think what Paul is trying to communicate here is that God's house, the church, is built on the preaching, the teaching, the ministry of the apostles and prophets of the New Testament. Well, take a minute to think about that. What did the apostles preach about? What was their ministry all about? What did the New Testament prophets, what was the centerpiece of their message? We go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you except what? Christ and Him crucified. They preached about Jesus. They preached about what Jesus expected for His church. What Jesus expected for humanity. They preached about the Lord. And so when you think about it that way, there's really not a difference between 1 Corinthians 3 and Ephesians 2, is there? The church being built on the foundation of Jesus is the same thing as the church being built on the preaching and teaching of the apostles and prophets because the apostles and prophets preached about Jesus. He was the centerpiece of their message. I believe what Paul wants us to get here is that the apostles and prophets preached a message that served as the, the groundwork. It served as the foundation, the doctrine, the teaching that the church would be built on top of for all time. He continues on. He says that the second part of God's house that we need to talk about is the cornerstone. He says in verse 20, we're still in verse 20, notice that it says verse 22 on the PowerPoint, but verse 20 in your Bible, it's built on Christ Jesus Himself as the cornerstone. Back in the New Testament time, a lot of buildings had what they would call a cornerstone. It was built in the corner of a house, and it really served an important purpose. It held most of the weight of a building. And so most of the weight is sitting on this big, really heavy stone called the cornerstone. It also would hold the two walls together. Where it was put in the corner, it would not only support the two walls on top of it, but it would hold those walls together. If you remove the cornerstone from the building, the building's going to collapse. The building is not going to exist. So what Paul wants us to get about God's house is that Jesus is the cornerstone. 
Perhaps Paul is alluding to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 28.16 or the psalmist in Psalms 118.22. It's language that's associated with Jesus in other places in the New Testament. Matthew 21, Mark chapter 12, Luke chapter 20, Acts 4, Romans 9, Romans 10, 1 Peter chapter 2. Jesus is the cornerstone of God's house. If you remove Jesus from the household of God, it's no longer going to exist. It's not going to be able to stand. It's going to collapse in on itself. Jesus is the one who supports the weight of God's household, the church. And He's the one who brings the two walls together, which would have had very special significance in the New Testament time. What are the two walls that Jesus brought together and supported in the first century church? We talked about it last week, didn't we? Earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, He took the Jews and Gentiles, two very different groups, and brought them into one body. He made two different people into one man. Jesus is the cornerstone of God's house that supports the weight and brings two very different groups together in this section of Scripture. What is the church? The church is the household of God. I believe the question that really matters as we look at this text is, does that describe us? We could talk about what the church is all day long and its design in Scriptures like Ephesians chapter 2, but does what Scripture tells us about the church describe us? Based on how we're living, based on how we're functioning as the church, are we living and functioning as the household of God? Are we built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets? Today, we have the responsibility to preach the same message that they preached. To worship in the same way that they worshiped. To proclaim the same way of salvation that they proclaimed. To proclaim about Jesus and what Jesus expects for His church just like they did. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what any preacher says. It doesn't matter what any religious group believes. What matters is if the church is built upon the foundation that the apostles and prophets laid through their preaching, through their teaching, through their ministry. If we're not built on those ancient words, if we're not built on that ancient foundation, then we can't be the church. If we don't have the right foundation, of course we're not going to have the right house. We also, Jude verse 3, have to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Are we built on Jesus as the cornerstone? Do we realize how essential Jesus is to the church? We can talk about doctrine, we can talk about teaching, we can talk about what we need to do and what we don't need to do, but do we realize if we take Jesus out of the equation, there's not an equation? If we subtract Jesus from the church, there is no church. Just like if you take a cornerstone from a house, the house collapses. If we take Jesus away from the church, the church collapses. How are you and I able to be in unity with one another? There are some differences between you and me, aren't there? The only way that we're able to be in unity with one another is because the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, is not only supporting us, He's not only holding us up, but He's holding us together as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Number one, what is the church? The church is the household of God. Number two, the church is the temple of God. Paul says, when you continue reading in verse 21, he says that this 
household, this structure, spiritual structure that we're talking about is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Let's start by talking about that word, it's growing. Or it grows, the ESV says. I found a house online. This is a house in Antalya, India. It's an amazing house, isn't it? It's one of the biggest, most expensive private homes in the entire world. It's 27 stories tall. It has a 168 car garage. 600 employees work inside of this house, this one man's private house. It's over 400 square feet and costs somewhere in the ballpark of $2 billion. That's a big house, isn't it? But as big as that house got, eventually it came to the point where it didn't get any bigger. Unless he decides to add on to it. I don't know why he would. Seems like to me it's big enough. But that house is going to stay that size. It's not going to grow anymore. It's not going to get any bigger. God's house, God's temple, the church, is not like that. What sets apart God's house, what makes God's temple unique, what sets apart the church from every other structure is that it always has room to grow. The church will never come to a point where growth is not necessary. Where growth is something that shouldn't be sought out. As Christians, as God's house, the church, we should constantly be growing in spirit. Growing in number. Growing in holiness. The word that's mentioned in verse 21. He says we're growing into what? Into a holy temple in the Lord. Of course, that's using terminology from the Old Testament. We mentioned this morning that in the Old Testament time, the temple in Jerusalem was the place where God's presence dwelt. In the most holy place, between the cherubim, above the mercy seat. The temple was the place where God was worshipped. It was the place where He was honored and magnified. It was the place where the Levitical priest would come to make sacrifices to Him that would rise up before Him as a sweet-smelling aroma, sacrifices that would please the Lord, the sacrifices that He commanded. Take just a minute to think about the church. The church is growing into a holy temple in Jesus. This is the place where God's presence dwells. Hold on to that thought, because we're going to return to it in just a minute. But this is the place where God is worshipped, where God is honored, where God is magnified. This is a place where in 1 Peter 2 and verse 6, we serve as a holy priesthood. Read the book of Hebrews about this. Jesus Christ is the high priest. In the Old Testament temple, you had the high priest from the family of Aaron. Then you had the priest serving under him from the tribe of Levi. When we look at the church, when we look at God's temple today, Jesus is the high priest. And we are serving as a holy priesthood. Well, what's the purpose of that? What are we doing as a holy priesthood? We offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What we see in the Old Testament about the temple in Jerusalem is paralleled in many ways in the church. It's the place where God's presence dwells. It's the place where He is worshipped. It's the place where we offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to Him. What is the church? The church is the temple of God. Does that describe us? 
as the church, are we living and functioning as God's temple? Do we embrace the fact that this is where the presence of God dwells? That He dwells in His temple? Do we realize this is the place that's dedicated to worshiping God? Honoring God? This is not a place where we come for entertainment. This is not a place where we come to consume. This is a place where we come to give. Do we realize this is the place where we are offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to the Lord whenever we're here together, whenever we're separated throughout the week out in the world? I'm afraid that sometimes the church looks more like a country club than it does a temple. That sometimes we can be consumers instead of givers. We want to take in the sacrifices instead of giving the sacrifices to the Lord. What is the church? What should we look like today? What is the church today? It's the household of God. It's the temple of God. And then the last idea that we see in this text in verse 22 is that the church is the home of God. You see that? In verse 22, in Him you also are being built together into what? The ESV says, into a dwelling place. Into a home for God by the Spirit. There's a difference between a house and a home, isn't there? You can walk into somebody's house, but just because you enter into their house doesn't mean that it's your home. What we do as people is we take the house that we're living in and we make it our home. And a lot of that has to do with who lives there. Who's living there with us. It's not about the four walls and the roof and the floors, but it's about the people who are in that house with us that makes it a home. Paul says, let me tell you something about the church. The church is not just God's house. The church is God's home. Within us, both collectively and individually, God has made His home. It's not just that we find our home within the church. We certainly do. Scripture talks about how this is a place where we abide. This is a place where we settle down. The church is our home. But it's also God's home. We are being made into a dwelling place for God. How does God dwell in His home? How does God dwell in the church? He's not sitting on a seat in here with us tonight. How does God dwell inside of His home? Paul tells us. See that last phrase in verse 22? By the Spirit. As Christians, and we'll we'll see this in Ephesians 3, God's Spirit lives inside of us. God's Spirit empowers us. Collectively as the church, God's Spirit lives within us. That is how God dwells in His church. By His Spirit who lives within us within us. When you go over to 1 Corinthians 3, that's the message that you see. Verses 16 and 17, do you not know that you are God's what? Temple? Notice how Paul combines the idea of of the church people individually being God's temple and being God's home. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. 1 Corinthians 6 takes on a more collective aspect. Using the plural you. Where Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What is the church? 
The church is God's home. The church is God's dwelling place. It is the place where He lives and makes His home within us, both individually and collectively, by His Holy Spirit. Does that describe us? It describes the church in Ephesians 2, but what about the church here at Seven Oaks? As the church, are we living and functioning as God's home? What if you were to walk into the White House this evening? Would you act the same way in the White House that you do at your house? I would say that you probably wouldn't. If I were to go into the White House, I'd try to be as respectful as I could. I wouldn't just sit in the corner on my phone, but as I went into each room and got to explore throughout the White House, I'd pay great attention. I'd take pictures where they allowed me to take pictures. Well, why? It has four walls just like everything else, doesn't it? It has a ceiling. It has floors just like any other structure. Well, it's not necessarily about the structure, but it's about the people who have made their homes there the presidents, the leaders of our nation who have dwelt there. We're going to change our behavior when we walk into the White House because of the legacy, because of the people who made their home within those four walls. If that's true with the White House, then how much more should it be true with the church? If we're going to change our behavior based on walking into the home of, of past presidents and our current president, how much more should we change our behavior as members of God's home? Members of the place where God dwells by His Spirit. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when we realize that we are God's temple, we are God's house, His home, where His Spirit dwells within us, we should do everything that we can to glorify Him. And everything that we say and, and do and think and how we interact with other people and how we are at work, how we are at school, Whenever we go to the grocery store, we should do all that we can to bring glory and honor to His name. Why? Because we are His home. Both collectively and individually, our God lives among us. Some things in life are hard to explain. And maybe the church is one of those things. That's why I love this section of Scripture where Paul takes just a few moments to talk about the church, to talk about what the church should be, the way that we should live and function as members of it. The church is God's house. The church is God's temple. And the church is God's home. And what's so amazing about that? What blows my mind about that message is that God invites us to be a part of that. God wants us to be a part of His house. He wants to claim us as His children. He wants us to claim Him as our Father. He wants us to claim one another as brothers and sisters. He wants us to be a part of His temple. He wants us to be members of that holy priesthood who are continually offering up spiritual sacrifices to Him. He wants us to be a part of His home. Isn't that amazing to think about? The Creator of all things wants to make His home in you. And He wants you to make your home in Him. If you haven't done that already, then you have the opportunity to do that tonight. To dedicate your life to Jesus. To rededicate your life to Jesus. To be an active part of His church, which Ephesians talks so much about. Would you let us help you as we stand and as we sing the song that's been selected?